0: Hello and welcome to the 2020 Albuquerque Bernalillo County Tree Stewards Training Classes. Unfortunately, as we all know, we can't meet in person right now, so um, this webinar is our workaround to be able to provide you some of the information we think you ought to have as you start this journey to becoming a tree steward. So my name is Joran Veers, I'm the City Forester with the Albuquerque Parks and Recreation Department. And one of the instructors in this class. I'm going to be leading us off today with a lecture on tree biology. Uh, trees do grow very differently than uh, other plants, and certainly than animals and creatures like ourselves. So it's good to know a little bit about how they are and what they do uh, so that we can work with them. So I'm going to share my PowerPoint now and we'll jump right into it. Okay, Tree Biology and Primer for Tree Stewards, presented by Jordan Beers, Uh, that's our little Hawkshead logo down there for our Urban Forestry Unit within the City of Albuquerque. I uh, myself am a Board Certified Master Arborist and a Municipal Specialist Arborist with uh, ISA. When you build magnificent buildings in the middle of a tropical rainforest, uh, over time, the trees are going to win out because that's tree country and they grow and eventually we stop keeping them from growing and they take over. That's in a tropical rainforest. Uh, In Albuquerque, it's a different story. This is not natural tree country and so we really have to try to help our trees survive. On the left, there is a picture of a uh, silver maple growing on Albuquerque's west side. Minimal irrigation, very hot environment. The tree is suffering dieback and nutrient deficiencies and will not uh, become a a nice urban tree, unfortunately. On the right-hand side, we see another example of how nature wins. In this case, this is a dead cottonwood twig with Cytospora fungus fruiting bodies curling through the bark. very harmful to that tree uh, especially when it is drought stressed. Well it helps to understand that trees are plants and if you remember back to uh, some of that basic biology you might have had in high school or college, um, trees have the ability, plants have the ability to feed themselves. Um, all they need is energy and access to water and carbon dioxide and then certain minerals that help them build the chemistry that can harvest that light energy and create from it stored chemical energy in the form of simple sugars. So at the very bottom there, we have the basic photosynthesis equation, where six carbon dioxide molecules and 12 water molecules are all broken apart in under the, uh, energy of of the sunlight there recombine to create one sugar molecule six oxygen molecules and six water molecules another thing about plants is that they don't like to move around on their own they move uh where they are as they respond to wind and water and other things like that uh, pushing on their their above ground bodies but they don't get up and move on their own Now, landscape plants do. We move them multiple times from the time that they are first started in some production nursery somewhere, all the way to when they get put out into your landscape. And every one of those moves has a little bit of transplant stress that goes along with it. So uh, the fewer times we can move plants, the better they like it. Once plants are growing in a given area, they can really only work with what's available within reach right there. So if there is a dry spell and very moist soil on the other side, uh, the tree doesn't know that, the plant doesn't know that. It cannot uh, use that water if it can't get to that water. And it's only gonna get to that water by following moisture. Similarly, sunlight that isn't, directly hitting the plant uh, isn't actually helping the plant. So a tree is going to survive and and thrive or not based on a lot of things, including the soil conditions, the nutrient, water levels, uh, the pH and salinity levels, and especially in urban situations, the degree of compaction. Whatever it is that plants need, they need a lot of different things, but whatever is the one thing that is most limited is going to be the Uh, thing that dictates that plant's health in that environment. It might be water, it might be nutrients, it might be availability of oxygen to the roots. Again, in a very moist area like in Malaysia, uh, roots will follow moisture where it accumulates in the cracks between the pavers and those roots will grow and so uh, they're very adaptable, and they will follow the patterns set for them by the, the surrounding terrain. The rocks and tiles and things like that create boundaries that they just have to work around. So plants are out there in the sun making sugars out of carbon dioxide and water, and then they're going to do something with all that stored energy. Basically, there's four things that they do. Uh, One, they just keep their existing cells alive. Every living cell needs a little bit of energy all the time to keep running. Uh, They're going to add new cells and new mass, and that takes energy as well as those sugar compounds get combined into other kinds of things like carbohydrates of different types and proteins and all that stuff. They're going to come up with ways to protect that which they have and that which they are adding. And that might be mechanical, like a thick bark or spines. It's very often chemical. Plants produce all kinds of uh, fairly toxic chemicals. Uh, And then finally, they are going to reproduce. They're gonna try to make children and get those into the next generation. Depending on the stage of life of that tree, uh, they're going to allocate those available resources to those four things differently it's a very young tree that's growing fast, it is not gonna put anything at all into reproduction, but a lot into growth. If it's an older tree near in the end of its life cycle, it may put minimal uh, energy into everything but reproduction in one last push to get some offspring into that next generation. So there's that basic unit of photosynthesis, the leaf, actually several of them, uh, that's a bur oak, city parks. Lovely tree, lovely leaf. Now, all cells on the planet, plant, animal, bacterial, fungal, everything, has to be able to break down stored energy to use it. And we call that process respiration. That's not like breathing, but this is at a cell level. It's the process of breaking that sugar molecule apart and releasing energy. In order to do that, the cell needs to have oxygen available to it. And so we often think about plants as something that take in CO2, use that, and give off oxygen as a waste. And that's kind of true, but they also are using that oxygen for respiration. Now, as a tree grows, uh, any plant grows, uh, it grows from an area we call the meristem. And so these are analogous in a way to uh, animal stem cells. These are areas where the cells are very small. They don't really have very specific details inside of them yet. What they do is they divide and then divide and then divide. And each time they divide one becomes two and one of those two continues to divide and to divide and to divide, but the other one then becomes some sort of tissue. Maybe it's part of a root, so it becomes a a root uh, vascular tissue, or maybe it's up in a flower bud and it becomes a cell inside that opening petal. Uh, Any number of things, but those all start in the meristem. We have what's called apical meristem, apical meaning the tip. And so this is the uh, meristem area found at the tips of shoots and roots that allows them to elongate their growth by adding new uh, parts at the end there. We also have in trees cambium, and this is vascular tissue that is found under the bark, but above the wood, it's a thin green layer. And as it's continually dividing, it's doing two things. It's making um, xylem, which is water conducting vascular tissue on the inside, and it's making phloem, which is sap conducting vascular tissue on the outside. And as it's doing that, those layers on the inside, the xylem, those stack up and stack up and stack up uh, and create what we call wood. So there's a picture showing a freshly cut one-year-old branch. The whole thing is kind of green, but you can see uh, right around that light tan wood the green layer of living cambium tissue that is busy uh, dividing and growing and making more branch we can see it again here where a slightly older branch a few years old i've just scraped the bark with my fingernail and exposed right underneath it that green layer that is that cambium layer it is the living rind of the tree it is the tissue that makes all new tissue and so it's health and its protection are extremely, extremely important to the growth and survival of that tree. As the tree gets old, as this uh, elm uh, stem here shows, uh, that cambium may die and when the cambium dies we lose the connection between the wood underneath which then all becomes dead as well and the bark on top which then all becomes dead as well and it starts to uh, break off and and, uh, that's when you know it's time to take the tree down this meristem then this cambium meristem around the trunk is responsible for one of the key features in defining a tree the ability to produce secondary growth and this is growth not that increases the length but increases the thickness and it adds layers and layers and layers to where that oak tree that began as a pencil thin stem in 500 years is a four foot diameter trunk. That's secondary growth. Um, And it's critical that the tree be able to do that because what it's adding really is new layers of vascular tissue. And on the inside, those only remain living for a few layers and then they die and if the tree can't add new ones uh that vascular tissue gets crushed and crushed and crushed so the picture is illustrating this problem we have an apple tree in the middle of summer has completely browned out and is dying and so i was asked to help discover what the problem was what i found was that the base of the tree when this tree had been planted it was uh, a large ball and burlap specimen the burlap wraps around the soil of the root ball and is tied in place with orange polyester cord that cord unfortunately does not decay and the tree though it can exert a lot of force cannot exert enough force to break that cord and so where that cord can, uh, still held around the trunk it constricted that tree's vascular tissue over several years until it just could not keep up the flow and the whole tree died. Some more thoughts about tree growth. So, you know, in the wild, in nature, uh, trees pretty much start as seeds. The seed is dropped somewhere, maybe a squirrel buries it somewhere, uh, but then the seed germinates, and the first thing that happens as that seed germinates is the root comes out. So the root is primary in time, okay? Then once that root begins to kind of get itself anchored down into the ground and start pulling in water and nutrients, then that stem can begin to grow and add the leaves that are going to power the whole thing. Um, So there's a term here, tree growth is modular. And what that simply means is that the tree grows by adding new parts to existing parts. We'll see how that works. We only have a few basic parts. We have leaves, we have branches, we have root tips, we have larger roots, and it all has to come from those few basic parts. So the way a tree grows is it just starts adding new parts to existing parts and there's no fixed number or placement. It's not going to have two branches east and west and then six branches north and south. It's going to grow to fit the environment and the circumstances of its individual spot. So. As it's adding all of these different parts, it's important to understand that because they're simple parts and they're kind of redundant, that individual modules are expendable. If I I lose part of a root, I don't lose the whole tree. If I lose some leaves or some branches, I don't lose the whole tree. So the plants are adding new cells and then they expand the size of those cells and that's how the whole actual physical growth of the plant occurs. And it's not how animals grow. My uh, children, when they were young, were very small versions of what they are now, but they still had the same basic body plan. But a young tree uh, may not look anything at all like what it becomes in terms of which branches become dominant and and where they grow. It's it's all flexible. But wherever that branch starts, on the left-hand side, a three-year-old tree, a branch off to the left that is, let's say three feet above ground, Another three years go by, the tree has added new branches and growth at the tips, but that first branch is still located three feet above the ground. Now we get to year 12, that branch has been lost, but the next branch up, we can see, has also carried its place on that scaffold. So wherever that branch starts out, if it's three feet above the ground today, in 50 years it might be 12 inches in diameter, but it's still going to be centered and attached at three feet above the ground. So these trees are adding new layers of vascular tissue. Uh, on the inside, it's that tissue we call xylem that moves the water. It's basically straws of different kinds of very decay resistant carbohydrates, um, uh, lignins, and, and cellulose and things like that. Uh, and that's moving water and the water is bringing with it minerals but uh as new layers are added those older layers basically the living contents disappear and the tree then begins to pack them with different kinds of anti-decay chemistry and things like that but that wood becomes dead it's physiologically dead but it's healthy dead because it's intact it's very strong it's very flexible and it provides the mechanical support for everything above ground all the leaves and the fruit and everything It's also where the tree can store uh, energy and compounds during dormancy. Uh, We think of sap moving to the roots, it also moves to the inside. But decay can begin to compromise that wood. Decay happens when fungus of certain kinds encounter dead wood, they break it down and thank goodness they do. But if they find a way into the inside of that tree, they they may begin decaying that interior wood. The tree might still have a healthy canopy, but the scaffolding now is becoming weak. And in fact, the tree may grow a long time uh, while decay is also progressing. This is a uh, tree that was cut down up in the mountains outside of Los Alamos. And uh, years and years ago, decades ago, some wound uh, that is kind of there between my feet damaged the tree, but it kept growing and it kept trying to reunite its tissue on either side of that wound but was unable to so the decay kept going on the inside the tree kept growing on the outside and it resulted in a fairly weak structure but a living tree still so plants have different parts Uh, again very simple systems we have root below ground and we have shoot above ground Uh, the primary root is that root that comes out when the seed germinates as I said the root is primary in time Uh, as it starts to grow down then we get lateral roots starting to grow off that primary root and very often uh, that primary root doesn't really go very far it does not necessarily become a tap root because again everything that roots want access to is found in the shallow soil um, the root hairs are the tiny one-cell big uh, structures that actually bring in the water and nutrients. They move it into the vascular system and then up through the stem into the leaves uh, and every other part of the body of the plant above ground. Above ground we have the shoots. Uh, each leaf is attached at what we call a node. So right here we have a leaf on the right-hand side with a, at a node and a little lateral bud. Uh, in that leaf axle as it's called. The little stem part of the leaf is called the petiole, and over time as it grows it just adds more and more of these parts. Again the vascular tissue moves uh, the liquid parts of the plant's resources be that water and nutrients or sugars. Uh, photosynthate is a fancy word for sugars made by photosynthesis. So on the First part, we have the xylem tissue that is moving water and mineral uh, resources. It is also uh, a storage place potentially and becomes support as it becomes wood. And then the phloem is moving the food, the sugars, down and around to where it's needed. Again, the roots, they take in water and nutrients, they anchor the tree in place and they support what is above ground. So they have to be fairly Uh, stable and wide to be able to hold up a vertical stem. The root is going to grow depending on what the site allows and so we might anticipate some root uh, form but uh, really that's going to be dictated by what the ground allows where that root is growing. And I mentioned that the root is primary in time. It's also primary in function and this is really easy to understand. There's a lot of trees out there that if I cut the tree down right at the, at the ground level and let that trunk fall over and wait about a year, the trunk will not have put on new roots. It will have died off, but the stump may well have put on new shoots because the root system is still alive and working. The shoot is everything above ground. It's a little more complex than the root, but still basically uh, straightforward. Roots grow where they can find moisture. They need soil, they can penetrate. They have to have oxygen available. All of that happens in the upper levels of the soil more commonly, and because of that, roots actually do tend to exist in the shallow soil more than they do in the deep soil. We often say that the bulk of most tree roots will be within three feet of the surface. Uh, you'll have a few deeper roots in some cases. You may not even have rooting that deep in other cases. and roots go very wide. So whatever the diameter of the tree is there, the canopy X, that root system may go two to five times as as wide as the canopy does. The canopy is the shoots part of it, right? Everything above ground. Uh, Some of the parts are permanent. uh, Branches and wood, hopefully for the tree's sake, are permanent. Some parts are temporary, such as leaves um the leaves are arranged on that stem in one of three ways we'll see some pictures here in a moment but they're either alternate they're opposite or they're whorled. and however the leaves attach also then leads to how branch arrangement is uh, formed in the tree because the branches grow out of those little buds in the axle on top of that leaf mad horse is a term to help us remember the few trees that we may encounter that have alternate leaf form. So M stands for maple, A stands for ash, D stands for dogwood and H stands for horse chestnut. We don't have very many horse chestnut. We have some small native shrubby dogwood, but mostly around here, if you have opposite leaf arrangement, it's either maple or ash. So on the left, we see uh, alternate leaf arrangement where each node carries only one leaf and they do alternate from side to side up the stem. In B, we have the opposite arrangement where each node has two leaves opposite each other. And then the next node up, those two leaves are offset by 90 degrees or so from the ones below. This maximizes light interception. World is simply more than two at a given node. And then finally, on the leaves, we have these teeny little openings, two cells big. Each of those structures uh, with the arrows coming in and out of them is a cell. And these uh, cells control an opening called the stomata. And that opening is what allows the plant to get carbon dioxide in and to allow water vapor to leave. When water vapor leaves, that is the suction that pulls new water into the root system from the soil. And obviously, carbon dioxide has to come in in order for the plant to be able to capture that through photosynthesis and begin to make sugars out of it. Plant can control whether those cells open or close, uh, depending on its water status, heat conditions, things like that. There are different uh, leaf types. Uh, so all of these five pictures uh, illustrate one leaf each. A simple leaf, we have the pediole, which is that stem coming up, and then the blade of the leaf. In this case, the blade has some lobes to it, but there are no breaks between the green tissue from one part to the next. As we go down to the bottom left hand, we have the palmate leaf compound. Again, the petiole comes up from the bottom and then, from one common point, all of the leaflets attach, radiating out like the fingers from the palm of your hand. Um, in the pinnately compound leaf, we have a leaf that is kind of like a feather—that's what pinnate stands for—long uh, with leaflets off to the side, and it may have a leaflet on the tip. It may not. Uh, that's often a very useful diagnostic tool. Trifoliate down in the right-hand side is simply a compound leaf that only has three leaflets and bipinnately compound is, uh, as you can see, an even more elaborate structure. That whole thing is one leaf, however. As that leaf begins to grow, all of those parts are already there. It doesn't add any more. That is the basic module for that tree. The edge of the leaf, we call it the margin. And it can be smooth like an entire leaf. We call that uh, entire when there's no edge uh, jimping and no waves, no teeth, nothing like that. But then we see there's a lot of different names for the degrees and shape of what that margin might look like. You do not need to memorize this. These uh, pictures are readily available. And anytime you really need to look it up, it's easy to find them. But it's important to know that these features are very useful sometimes in being able to identify a plant because they tend to be pretty consistent across that species. Similarly, the tips, the bases, the overall shape of the leaf, all of that has been studied and named. And when you really get into the detail, you can begin to really pick things apart Uh, for our purposes uh, we just need to know that those resources are available if we need them. So here's a leaf, uh, a set of leaves if you will actually, Um, and we're going to look at them and go through what we can tell about them. First of all they are alternate. Each node contains just one leaf and then you go down the branch a little bit and the next node alternates off to the other side and also has only one leaf. You can see the uh, axillary buds, the lateral buds there at the top of the pediole The leaves are serrate, meaning the edge has a sawtooth-like uh, margin to it. They are ovate, that is a form that is kind of oval but bigger on one side and pointed on the other. They have an acuminate tip, kind of comes in like a little spear point a little bit. Uh, And again, all of that, the obtuse chordate base, all of that is technical terminology that's useful but not necessary to memorize. Now, what about leaves? So this is a tree that I had years ago at a property I owned in the South Valley. It was a Fuji apple tree. And this is early July. We had a horrible grasshopper problem and they defoliated that tree. Uh, I had my kids go out and pick off all the fruit. You can see it on the ground because I knew the tree could not mature fruit without any leaves. So despite, you know, 99% defoliation, uh, this tree did put on new leaves by late summer and it held those new leaves all the way till the hard frost and has been fine as far as I know ever since. I, I don't get to check on it anymore, but Last I saw it was doing fine. So, leaves are critical to the plant, but they are expendable and replaceable. Wood, however, is not as easily replaced and so that's the long-term investment the tree makes. And it wants to protect that wood, as well as protecting the leaves. So, there's different ways to protect. Things like bark can protect you from temperature as well as some kinds of feeding damage. Intense light, as we have here. Um, Spines might uh, defer feeding, uh, as do hairy leaves. There's also different kinds of chemicals, um, things that uh, make animals ill or potentially kill them, things that uh, don't allow fungi to grow well. Um, And there's kind of a trade off that plants make uh, if we grow, if we push growth for instance, by giving the plant a lot of nitrogen, it's actually going to reduce the level at which it produces uh, protective chemicals. And so we can kind of set a tree up for future problems by pushing growth too hard when they're young. So there's some physical protection and then the chemical defenses, all kinds of stuff. Nicotine, caffeine, strychnine, quinine, Cyanogenic glycosides. You've heard not to eat uh, too many apple seeds. Uh, that's why. You've got your terpenoids, uh, you've got your tannins and flavonoids and other phenolics, all kinds of stuff out there. Plants are continually evolving, very complex and hard to break down defensive chemistry. Finally, plants do like to reproduce as all living things do. Uh, Seems to be the rule of the game is to try to get your genes into the future. Plants are kind of complicated about about it though. Um, They don't all fall to the easy male-female dichotomy that we are used to with ourselves. A lot of times, like in this uh, little peach flower we're looking at here, that flower is uh, hermaphroditic. It has both, Uh, female and male um, reproductive organs that are fully functional Uh, in this case peach can self-fertilize so that flower could become its own uh, set of parents and produce seed just from its own genetics Um, so we have that type of plant that has male and female in the same flower we also have some plants uh, and I'm thinking of things in the squash family here where every plant has both male and female parts, but they're in separate flowers. You have a male flower, you have a female flower. And then you have a lot of plants and especially a lot of our larger uh, ornamental trees uh, that have separate male and female plants. Uh, Those are called monoecious. excuse me, those are called dioecious, di meaning two, ecious meaning house. So separate houses for the male and the female, The other plants we call monoecious, one house, male and female together in one plant. It can change, that's a whole different thing. Plants like some fish can change their sex depending on circumstances. This is a uh, flower that shows all of the different parts a flower might have. From the outside, we have the sepal. That's kind of the green scales that might be around that flower before it opens. As it opens, they often kind of fade and shrivel. As the petals expand, very colorful, Uh, both the sepal and petal are not necessary for sexual reproduction. They are there to protect and to invite in pollinators, but it's when you get to the stamen and the pistil that you're getting to the actual reproductive organs. A complete flower has both sexes. A perfect flower has both sexes, plus the petals and the sepals. There are a lot of flowers out there that are neither complete nor perfect. Most of our wind pollinated plants only have one sex or the other and often don't have petals, may not even have sepals. In order to get viable seeds, uh, two things have to happen. The pollen has to be moved either by the wind or maybe an insect. From the anther to the stigma, and then a little tube grows down and the sperm cell migrates down to the egg cell. Then, step two, fertilization, the egg and sperm cells unite, and you have a new genetically unique individual inside that seed. So again, we mentioned monoecious, both sexes in the same plant, maybe in separate flowers. Dioecious, separate male and female. Okay. Now, that's a lot about how natural trees reproduce. Urban trees, well, it kind of doesn't really work that way most of the time because we don't want them to just do their own thing. Uh, This picture shows uh, what that can look like. This is several years ago, a young Siberian Elm seedling that has germinated and is growing out of the decaying crotch of a Catalpa tree. Recently, I visited that park and that uh, Siberian Elm is now Uh, multi-trunked and pushing 10 feet uh, still rooted into the decaying wood inside that aging and ill catalpa. Urban plants typically are not seeded right where they're going to grow unless we're talking about maybe something in the vegetable garden. Uh, Certainly ornamental trees are not started that way as a rule. They are started in nurseries. Sometimes they're seed grown in a nursery. Sometimes they're grafted onto seed grown stock. Um, There's a lot of moving up of the root stock. And if they're not moved quickly enough in the life of that root, you can get really gnarled up root balls like that that one in the picture there on that young gamble oak. um, Planted directly into the landscape, that root ball is going to stunt the growth of that tree for years to come. So here we have another example of what that root architecture might look like when it has grown to the imprint of the container in which it was grown. Uh, That's Brian Sewer, recently retired head arborist at the University of New Mexico. He was giving a little training on root architecture and illustrating uh, the problem that we often find when we buy container grown plants in a nursery that have been held too long in too small of a pot on the other hand this is a root system that was allowed to grow uh naturally and you can see how broad and shallow and widespread that root system is and it does not go in circles and circles and circles around itself it spreads out in all directions away from the trunk that is a healthy few words about trees and water these two graphs show different things that are very related On the left, we have annual average precipitation, and basically the darker green it is, the wetter it is, the more uh, red and yellow and even brick red it is, the drier it is. On the other picture, on the right-hand side, we have the various biomes of the North American continent. So you can almost overlay the deciduous forest there in the eastern U.S. with the green part of the precipitation map. That's all I need to see to tell me that trees need water. Especially in New Mexico, trees are going to need irrigation. Uh, On the left-hand side, this is a picture taken several years ago during the winter that tree's dormant, not dead. It's a young sycamore growing on the west side of the Albuquerque Convention Center, planted into a very wide bed with irrigated plant material all around it. In the last four years, that tree has quadrupled in mass, at least doing very, very well. On the right-hand side, a tree that you might think was in a better environment, irrigated turf, but the way that it was planted, it's in a low spot. And that low spot is gonna collect water and that's gonna lead to a waterlogged soil, which means all the oxygen will be driven out of that soil, which means those roots are gonna sit in water unable to function because they have no oxygen and potentially then dying and rotting so in some ways that's a very disadvantageous uh, watering situation for that tree typically what we recommend for trees is to water less often but with a lot of water and put it across a broad area moisten the surface area let it soak down fairly deeply And it doesn't matter how good your soil is, if it's not regularly moistened, roots aren't gonna be able to take advantage of it. Turf does compete with trees for shallow water. uh, And so they are always in a struggle between the turf and the tree. The turf produces chemicals that actually inhibit tree roots. But in our parks, we do irrigate turf and therefore trees will get some water. And they do all right. A lot of times people say turf and trees are not compatible, and often they do compete, but at least in that setting, there's enough for both. This chart shows basically how much soil volume it takes to grow a tree of a given size. If our canopy diameter is gonna be 40 feet and our trunk diameter two feet, we're gonna need somewhere close to probably uh 1400 cubic feet of soil and we shouldn't count anything below three feet so that's a lot of square surface area we often don't see that trees get that this little uh, black locust down here most of the center is dead uh there's really very little root volume available for that tree it probably had better moisture in a past life maybe there was turf maybe there's new sidewalk that cut roots at any rate this tree is headed uh, down and there's not a lot that can be done about it. These two trees are in very different settings but both of them have a good root volume that gets irrigated. The dormant sycamore on the right, again it's a winter picture, uh, there's irrigation all underneath that mulch out there in that big circle and then obviously a tree growing in an irrigated front yard does stand a chance of getting some of that moisture. So. Some last thoughts here. Um, Trees are gonna have to make it or or not where they get planted. They're not gonna find resources that they can go travel to. They're only gonna get resources where they are. So those resources and that space needs to be sufficient and suitable both below ground for the roots and above ground for the canopy. Um, Too much light, too hot of temperatures can be very damaging for trees. Uh, and again, the, the root space needs to be uh, sufficient and it doesn't have to be great soil, it just needs to be decent soil with moisture. So last thoughts. Trees are big plants and they have a lot of leaves and that means they need a lot of water. Now some trees of a given size need more than others because they grew to that size more quickly and they're just straws for moving water some trees use water much more thrifty because they come from very uh, droughty desert-like environments but they're still big plants and they're still using a lot of water so when you think about where we are here in the albuquerque area uh, this is not naturally tree country except for a narrow strip along the river and up high in the mountains anything in between that trees are gonna need our help and you can be Heart of that help. Thank you very much. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, the webinar is finished. I hope it uh, is useful to you. Please do write down your questions or comments, and we can discuss those later. And uh, I look forward to meeting you all in person. Thank you very much.